Today's reading will be from Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 19, page 1212 in the Red Church Bibles. Hebrews 13, 7 to 19. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of the Lord to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Christ Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of false teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus suffered outside the city, uh, the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sam, for reading. Uh, Let me add my good morning to Steve's and Happy New Year, if I've not had a chance to say that uh, to you yet. If you've got... Bible open at Hebrews 13. Do stay there, and we'll, we're going to remain there for uh, the next little while. But just as we begin, a bit of a, a kind of word association uh, thing to, to, to get us thinking. Uh, look, what, what kind of people, or what kind of people, not what sort of people, what kind of people come to mind when you hear the word authority? Just for a minute or so, uh, if you're sitting beside someone, you're happy to chat, just chat about that. If you're not near anyone, you can just think about it yourself. But what kind of people come to mind when you hear the word authority? Off you go. Um, you might, you might, I guess you, there'd be all sorts of things you, you might have said there. Maybe, maybe you thought of teachers. 
Uh, maybe uh, those who are a bit younger, maybe you thought of parents. Did that come up when you think of authority? Do you think of parents? Maybe you thought of the police. Uh, people with authority, maybe you've had an, uh, a run-in with them. My friend Reese, a while back, ages back, was stopped by a police officer. I think he said he was in Wales, uh, traveling a little bit too fast on the road. And the police officer said, you've got two options, sir. You can pay an on-the-spot fine. Or if you'd like to go to court to contest it, you do that. And Reese said, what about the third option? The policeman said, I'm not familiar with the third option, sir. He said, well, the third option is where you give me a ticking off and let me go. There won't be a third option today, sir. Um, <laughs> policeman authority, to say that kind of thing. Um, and by authority, I guess we'll mean something like, like certain powers are given to people or groups. They are authorized to do certain things. That's what we're going with authority. In lots of ways, we're surrounded by it, aren't we? MPs in government authorized to uh, make laws, uh, teachers with authority to set homework. Maybe you've experienced that this week. How do you feel about authority? How do you feel about that? Uh, people have noticed, uh, kind of social commentators, that Gen Z, Generation Z, and if you want to know where, where Gen Z are, that's, that's those who were born kind of, I think, late 90s up until 2010. Uh, that's the kind of Gen Z. So that would be Pathfinders, Grafted, and a bit beyond that. And Gen Z are growing up, and, and they seem to be, the trend is, they're more anti-authoritarian. And bigger questions about authority. Those of you who are younger, do you feel that? Do you feel a sense of anti-authority? Is that right for you? Those of you who are older, uh, maybe you feel a sense of that as well. But I guess in the past week, most of us will probably have interacted with someone who has authority over us. Maybe, maybe it's been a boss at work. Maybe it's been your parents saying, lights out. Uh, maybe it's been something like that. If you can recall an incident like that, though, recently, here's a question. As you were uh, encountered that, did you ever think, how could I make their job a joy for them? As your boss handed you a piece of work, or as your parents said, uh, lights out now, did you, did you ever think to yourself, how can I make their job a joy for them right now? As you're younger, did you think that with your parents? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be odd. And the reason for asking all that is because this little series we're doing on Sunday mornings, we're thinking about the church being a, a countercultural community because God is different to the way this world organizes itself and is. His people who are called to live with Him and for Him will begin to show some of those differences as well. And one of them, one of the ways, will be how authority is used and responded to in the church. So this is the second in our series Christ's people and authority. Our passage that we've looked at this morning, if you want to narrow it down, it kind of focuses on, we could say, teaching pastors, if I can put it that way, teaching ministers. You know, look at verse 17, if you've got it there, because we heard this read to us. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. And a bit further on, do this, so that their work will be a joy. First thing, well done, Steve, for handing this one to me. Thanks for that. Second one, and more seriously, let's acknowledge, some could read that and think, that's not countercultural. 
That's dangerous. Is that what this is saying? Is this church leaders have authority, submit to them whatever, and make their life enjoyable as you go about it? Is that what this is saying? Look, that would be dangerous, I think. And given some recent scandals, it seems there are church leaders who, in a sense, have operated like that. People have been abused by church leaders. But it's not what this is saying. And it's not how we're to be as a church community. And one of the ways we'll steer away from wrong views of authority in the church is to get a feel for what it's meant to be. And what we have here in this passage is, is a small part. It's just a small part. We won't do everything. It's a small part of what the Bible says about the authority of, uh, of church leaders in this regard, how God says we're to respond to it. And why it is good. Why it's good. I'm going to pause again and pray now as we, as we come to think about this. Heavenly Father, as we as we listen to your word, there is a good word. We don't know uh, all the experiences of one another. There may be some here for whom experiences of leadership outside and inside the church has been really pretty poor and damaging and wrong. Uh, there may also be some of us have grown up with a, a culture of feeling kind of anti-authority. Whenever authority gets mentioned, we want to dismiss it. Yeah. And both of those things make listening to you hard. But there is a good word here that will in the end lead us towards the Lord Jesus, who is our Lord and a gracious Savior. So please would you help us as a church family to listen to your words and together to respond to it with um, genuine trusting faith and obedience. Amen. Look, if you've, you've got that passage open in front of you, here's the first thing I want to draw your your attention to. I think this passage is saying to us, look, leaders are temporary. Jesus is unchanging. As you read the passage, do you notice uh, leaders get mentioned twice, verse 7 and verse 17. Verse 7, we're told, remember your leaders. In, in a sense, the writer is saying, look, look remember your leaders. That, that's leaders who were there in the past. And verse 17, he's saying, have confidence in your leaders. That, that's present leaders you've got now. And in between those two little sections about leaders, there's a bigger section about Jesus. Begins verse 8. You see, it's uh, this phrase that you might be familiar with, this verse you might be familiar with. It's quite a well-known one, but here it is in, in, in its context. He says, Jesus Christ is the, the same yesterday and today and forever. Oh, he's unchanging. The Jesus that walked by the shores of Galilee is the same Jesus recorded in the Bible, is the same Jesus you have met if you're a Christian today, and is the exact same Jesus who will come back again in glory. He is unchanging. But you see what that counterpoint does to leaders. It's letting you know that leaders, whatever they are, they are not an end in themselves. I think there's a kind of implication here that in the life of a church family, leaders will, will come and go in some way. The, the implication is, is you will benefit from a, a variety of leaders in all likelihood. So remember, leaders temporary. 
Jesus unchanging. I'm trying to think of a, of a way to kind of illustrate, uh, you, you feel a sense of, of this uh, during the, the week, a way to illustrate this kind of temporary and unchanging uh, link. Best I could do was light bulbs and power supplies. It's not, it's not the best one, but see if this maybe helps you get a feel for it. Uh, you know how it goes with light bulbs. Light bulbs, in a sense, they're not independent things. They're, they're not independent in and of themselves, but a light bulb's great use is connected to the power supply. It becomes a means by which light comes into your home. But in your house, you don't, you don't spend much time saying, ooh, that's a good bulb, isn't it? That is a good bulb. You don't spend much time doing that or saying that. Now, I, I know the, in all likelihood, someone will probably come to me at the end and say, actually, I've done a PhD in filaments. Uh, and LEDs, and that is exactly what I do. I spend all my time talking about that's a good bulb. But for most of us, in our homes, we don't spend much time saying, oh, that's a good bulb. No, what you do is you enjoy the light. You move about in it. You find your way around messy rooms. You you do that kind of thing. It, It helps you be able to see where you're going. You sit with friends and families around meal tables in in dark January evenings, illuminated by light, enjoying laughter and food and time together. You're not even really thinking about the bulb at that point. You're just enjoying being able to live by the light that comes from it. But as happens from time to time, a light bulb pops. And things get a a little bit darker for a while. And you know at that point, you don't just sit in the dark. In fact, that's one of the times where you do talk about bulbs. And you do it in a very matter-of-fact kind of way. You say, got to get a new bulb. Got to get one with the right fitting for this room. And when you get it and you install it, you don't say, oh, look at that. That bulb does the light thing as well. No, you, you don't say that, do you? No, the, the light is there through the bulb because that's what a real bulb does when connected to the unchanging power supply. Bulbs are temporary. They eventually need changing. The power supply is a bit more constant. Now, don't push the illustration too far. It's got weaknesses. I know that. Don't come and tell me at the end. It doesn't quite work like that. But, but look, if you get a sense of that, here's where I want to go with this. I hope very much that the Lord will view me as useful in his service for some time. But there will come a day when, like a bulb, I will pop. That'll be it. In one way or another, for a number of reasons, I'll no longer be useful for helping share particular lights Uh, of the Lord Jesus in a leadership way, and I'll be replaced. New one will come. And on that day, the Lord Jesus will carry on caring for his church through whomever comes next. Self-important church leaders need to be reminded of that. Actually, church leaders who are not self-important need to be reminded of that from time to time, lest they drift in that kind of way. Those of you, and I include myself in this, who have got any kind of leadership responsibilities, take note of that. So one of the ways those with authority should be, within the church, should be countercultural, is knowing the church doesn't revolve around us as leaders. 
We are here in some way for the good of the church. Our prominence, and leaders do have a prominence, don't they? they they're prominent in some ways, but their prominence is not a position of superiority. Our prominence is a, a position of enabling service. They minister to you. That's what they're for. They are to minister to you. It's interesting, even in our country, I guess for historical reasons, because of the, the Christian influence in our country, that government leaders are called ministers. It's interesting, that, isn't it? It's a Christian kind of thing there. It's been shaped by that. And it's recognizing that we need leaders who think that way, and particularly in the church. That's how we're to think. So leaders temporary, Jesus unchanging. So what are leaders for? What are they, in a sense, authorized to do? Well, here's the second big thing just to take note of this morning. Leaders help the church stay close to the unchanging Jesus. That's their purpose. Look, part of this concern, if you're to read through this whole letter uh, to the Hebrews, is for the church, for you, for Christians, to, to stick close with Jesus. And you think, well, who is he? Well, right at this point, gives us a little description of him in verses 10 to 12, if you've got it in front of you. He uses kind of language and, and images from the Old Testament in terms of sacrifice. How can sinful people be made right with God? Well, God provided a substitute, sacrifice. It got what people deserved. It, got, the, the, it suffered, was cast out in order to bring people close to God back to him. And the Bible says those, those services in the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were a temporary measure pointing towards the coming of Jesus with his unchanging saving grace. That's what a writer's getting at in verse 12. You see what he puts there. We just read that. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his own blood. He suffered at the cross. He was he was the one put out, but he was the real sacrifice. He endured that for you. He ministered to you in that way. He was rejected so that you could be accepted. The world often thinks him foolish. Talk of Jesus, he just seems foolish. He's, many despise him, but you know, you know as a Christian, you know his goodness and his kindness, providing the forgiveness you need. That's who he is, this unchanging Jesus that you're, you're meant to be sticking close with. He is, he is your suffering but generous Savior. And you think, oh, I, I kind of know that, David. I've been a Christian for some time, so why do I need help from leaders? I already know that. Well, I think a writer just flags up three things for us in, in these verses we've got in front of us. Let me mention them. One is because we're prone to wander from Jesus. Second thing is, we're not really always that brave in following Jesus. And the third thing is, we often keep forgetting, sometimes deliberately, how we're meant to respond to Jesus. But prone to wander, that, that's just verse 9. Do you, uh, do you see what the, the writer says? Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. We're, we're prone to wander away from the real Jesus, believe all sorts of other things. We're not that brave. I, I think there's a sense, you get a sense of that in, in verse 13 where it, it says, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Who wants to be viewed of as a disgrace by those around you? you? You know how it is, even in little ways. Someone at work 
Or at school says to you, what have you been up to this weekend? You're a Cambridge United fan. You know what you will be waxing lyrical about. But we, we're all like this at times. Yeah, what have you done this weekend? We, we've mentioned everything except coming to church with some people. Wouldn't even just drop it in a little way because I, I don't want to be thought of a fool. And many think of Jesus as an embarrassment. And if you seriously follow him, they'll, they'll think that way about you. And I want to avoid that. I see my bravery, it, it goes pretty quickly. And a writer knows we're not brave. And that's when we, we forget how to respond. That, that's what he's getting at in verses 15 and 16. Do you ever think of this? Look, one day, Christian, gloriously, you, you will stand before the Lord of glory before the God of heaven in, in the, the splendor and beauty of his majesty. And if he were to say to you, I don't think it will go down like this, but if he were to say to you, look, what have you done? What have you done to deserve entering into my kingdom where there will be joy and peace and friendship and love and contentment with me, with me and with others forever? What have you done to deserve that? You know you won't say, oh, I did my best. I, I tried really hard. I did my best. Oh, I came to church on and off. I mean, there was some times when I missed it. I was a bit tired, didn't come. But I came to church on and off, and I did my best. You know you won't say that. You won't say anything like that. No, maybe you remember something like the old, the old hymn, and you'll say to him, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. That's the only reason. That's the ground of my assurance. Jesus, this Lord of glory, this wonderful Lord, Jesus has generously paid everything for you. And he has also shown us how to live generously for others. And so you understand what the writer's saying. We forget, verse 15, we forget to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That's the right response to him. My life should be filled up with constant thanking him, praising him. He's done an incredible thing for me. I'll enjoy eternity with him. We forget to bring a sacrifice of praise. And we forget to, in verse 15, to do good and share with others being treated this generously. We, we forget to be generous with others. But it's hard, isn't it? It is hard. Look, it's hard admitting that you're someone who needs forgiveness. It's hard being thought of a fool by some. It is really hard that. It pains us. I mean, it's genuinely painful. And it's hard being kind to to others like Jesus, especially when they're not kind back to you. Those kind of things hurt us. I came across this poem by Amy Carmichael. Maybe, maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you know it. it goes, it's called Hast Thou No Scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee spoken as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent, leaned me against the tree to die, and rent by ravenous beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? 
no wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Canst he have followed far who has no wound or scar? I read that, and I think my head bows a little bit, and I think I'm, I'm so soft as a Christian, so easy to give up when it's a little bit hard, so prone to drift. And look, I don't think our writer is writing here to, to make you feel bad, but he's saying to us, look, God knows his children often lose sight of Jesus and start to drift from him, and part of the way he shines the light shines the light on Jesus is by giving us leaders to, to put Jesus in front of us, to show us this is what he's like until we see him and we say, yeah, that's him. I love him. I want to live for him. You realize that? So one of the ways we'll be countercultural with this kind of authority is we'll accept it. The way it's meant to be, a good leadership, but we'll accept it as a really, really gracious gift. And I sense you do that Sunday by Sunday as you come and gather with leaders here. But you can ask, look, look, so how do leaders help us? What, what are they authorized to do? And a, a couple of things I want to mention is, look, they, what they're meant to do is they're to preach the unchanging Jesus to you. That's how they shine the light, confront you with it. Yeah, that's verse 7, isn't it? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. There's no upgraded messages. There's no, Jesus isn't like an Apple product who needs to be changed every six months. No, it's the same message as always. You, you need to keep hearing more and more about the Jesus you meet in the Bible. That's what leaders are to do. And here's another thing is, is this, they are to live for the unchanging Jesus with you. There's meant to be an integrity to the life. Second half of verse 7, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You, you sometimes hear people say things like, look, if you want to know what Christianity is about, don't look at Christians. Look at Jesus. And you understand the sense of that. You, you know what they're getting at. We're a messy bunch. We get all sorts of things wrong. But if you're not careful, you, you miss something important. Because what the writer is saying here is, look, th this is not, if you want to know Jesus, what, exactly what he's like, forget the Bible, look at me. Now, that would be outrageous. No, this is saying, do, do, you, know what it, do you want to know what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus? Do you want to know what it looks like to, how are young people growing up going to know what being a Christian looks like? This is what a writer is saying about leaders. How, how are you and a church family going to know as you hit situations? This is saying, like, do you want to know what praying you'll keep going when it's really hard looks like? Do you want to know what battling to forgive others who've hurt you because you know you've been forgiven by Jesus looks like? Well, this is saying with leaders, what leaders are meant to do is they're meant to be able to say, look, you can, you can look at me. You can look at me as, as one of your leaders because I'll live for Jesus with you. I'll, I'll go through all those things. I'm struggling with it. I'm, I'm a repentant sinner as well. I'm going to do all those things. And here's another way I think we'll be countercultural with authority because your church leaders are to have an openness with you. You're meant to know them. It's not that they can't have private conversations somewhere. Not that they can't have a meal by themselves without telling you exactly what they've eaten. But you're meant to know their lives. Is a little aside, it's why online kind of church, I, I think, has been useful in these, these times, but it, it's not what church is meant to be. You're meant to know your leaders. You're meant to relate to them. You're meant to know their lives. 
They're meant to live for Jesus with you. Um, those of you in Pathfinders and Grafted, have you clocked that? That's the kind of thing on Friday nights. You understand that's what's going on with your leaders, what they're doing. They're, they're speaking Jesus to you, His Word, and they're aiming to live Jesus with you so that you know them and can see how it looks out. And I think that begins to bring us back, just as we, we draw to a close, back to verse 17 at the end of this passage, with this question, Look, who should we authorize as leaders? And I think this would say to us, like, like, who should we have confidence in? Uh, well, as we've seen already, it's, it's people who can teach God's Word to you. They want to stick with that. And it's people who will live for Jesus with you and with a kind of openness and all the ups and downs of that. They'll do that. And, and one more I'd add from this verse is it's, it's people who will attempt to diligently care for you, put themselves out for you. Come back to, to verse 17 again. You see how it describes leaders? They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. People who, who give an account, people give an account to somebody who's in authority over them. Good leaders, in a, in a sense, are, are those who tremble a little in leading because they know God's watching them. And he's watching them to see that they help you stay close to Jesus. So good leaders will will aim to keep watch over you. And that phrase, keep watch, is kind of literally they lose sleep over you. They're wakeful about you. I imagine at times that means literally they'll wake up thinking about you, the concerns you have, and, and what help you might need. So as a church family, we must check who we let lead. Don't just let anyone. You must never do that. And not just anyone, just because they, they happen to be able to speak well a little bit. It's more than that. There's to be an integrity of life and a genuine care of others. It puts themselves out for others. Don't let anyone lead. But I think what, what God says to us here is, look, do submit to leaders. Leaders appointed like that, they will have to make leader decision, leadership decisions. They won't get everything right. I think one of the things that might be hard in Cambridge is many of you are are really clever and quick. And you're used to being leaders in work. It's hard coming to church where you're not the boss. But remember here, remember, you don't need a leader because you're not smart enough. You need one because smart as you are, you're prone to wander from Jesus. You'll be tempted not to be brave in following him. And leaders are a gift that he's given to you. Leaders can mess up leadership. But church members can make it a pain too. Those who lead, lead people to Jesus from God's word and live for Jesus with them. Those being led, do ask questions about proper leaders. But if they are kind of good leaders, well then let them teach you about Jesus, speak to you about him from his word. Let them encourage you to be brave in following Jesus. And let them remind you how to respond to him with gratitude to him and generosity to others. I'm going to pause for a prayer in a moment before Steve takes his on in our service. But can I mention again Prayer 150? Steve's mentioned it already. One of the things as well we're going to be doing this coming week is praying for leadership in our church. So let me encourage you as well. Do come and join us with pray for that. But have a moment now just to pray before Steve takes us on.